make a start, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming to this meeting. This is the Rarely, Pure and Never Simple Satire, Truth and Subversion meeting. Uh, right, we've got two speakers here today. Unfortunately, the third speaker, Mark Fish, unfortunately dropped out. We are sorry for that. But we do have Angela Nagel to my right. Angela is an Irish researcher. She's recently completed a PhD. Uh, again, speaking, she's written for the Baffler, the Job of the Review Books and The Atlantic. And to my left, we have David Jutcher. David journalist. David Stubbs is a journalist and author. Uh, he's written several books over the year. I suppose it would be uh, fair to say that you're probably best known to most people as a regular contributor for the Daily Mash, which is a very, yeah, a very well known satirical website. Uh, so give, again, same formula as downstairs. Uh, as there is only two speakers, I've given them a bit more time, so 15, 20 minutes to speak, contributions, questions, etc. Uh, I'm going to start now. David's going to speak first. David, take it away. Hi, hi. So, um, yeah, my name is um, David Stubbs. Um, I've been a journalist for about um, 30, yeah, 30 years, actually. Um, I started off uh, writing for Melody Maker. Um, and, and I think there, almost immediately, um, I realised there was a sort of duality uh, in terms of my kind of sort of aesthetic approach to everything, basically. Um, um, my duties were divided between writing about a kind of whole slew of new bands that were coming through, very avant-garde type bands, bands with names like the Young Gods, um, obviously Sonic Youth, Big Black, all those kind of people. And I would write about them in a very ardent, intense, idealistic sort of way. Um, it wasn't particularly huge at all. On the other hand, um, there was a section in Melody Maker at that time called Talk, Talk, Talk. And then I would put an altogether different hat on, uh, which was the satirist hat. And whereas uh, when I've been writing all these kind of features and interviewing these bands and really kind of banging the drum for them, um, I tend to write in um, a very kind of inflated kind of way. And they an unabashed, pretentious kind of way. I and mean, I've made no bones, I've only considered the word pretentious a compliment. It was very intense, very evangelical. And then, like I say, then I do, do this other thing, what this character called Mr. Agreeable, um, who's, um, you know, just wrote just my kind of pseudonym, and in which I kind of write about various things during the weekend, in which the punchline was usually something like, fuck off, you cunt. Um, <laughs> you know, the ultimate in deflation. Um, it was this paradox, you know, so I was involved in kind of like building up and kind of knocking down, you know, at, at, at the same time. Um, and I suppose that kind of reflects, in a sense, in my personality, maybe like ambivalence, in a sense, and I'll probably go into that a little bit more. Um, I mean, over the years, certainly I was one of these people that started out in my teens as somebody that was very kind of ardently leftist. Then I think, like a lot of people did, sort of drifted centrewards in the kind of 90s and sort of imagined that maybe I was kind of post-political or something. Only recently to drift back to the left, you know, and I'm probably characterised myself as not an armchair leftist so much, a sort of Facebook leftist, you know, really fighting the good fight on uh, <laughs> online, you know, to various strangers on increasing heated threats. Um, but my initial, um, my initial sort of contact, my first contact, I think, with the whole concept of satire was, it actually came from a left-wing source. It was probably when I was about 15, and um, as a Christmas present, somebody bought me um, a book of, just a book of political jokes, and it was on Pluto Press, which was pretty left, that was a left-wing, well, it's a left-wing imprint, isn't it? Um, 
And I was really impressed by them. I mean, I'm going to try out a couple. I mean, you know, don't worry, time. Humour's a highly perishable thing. But, um, but, you know, for instance, there was one about some, some geezer, some northern chap who manages to stray by accident onto the grounds of some aristocrat. Um, and the aristocrat is out on his rounds and he confronts him and says, Hey, stranger, what are you doing on my grounds? And he says, Well, whose are they? He says, They're mine. What do you mean? He says, They're mine. They belong to my ancestors. My ancestors fought for these lands. They're mine. And the butcher says, All right, I'll fight you for them. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most I liked. I was good like that. And there was another one about Lady Astor. She was the Tory MP, wasn't she? And, yeah. and um, doing the rounds during the Depression in the 1930s. Um, and she went to speak you know, to various groups of um, you know, the not so well to do and whatever and lectured them on kind of the values of thrift. And uh, for instance, you know, she recommended an excellent um, recipe for fish head soup. At which point, somebody put their hand up in the audience and said, um, Excuse me, Lady Astor, while we're eating the fish head soup, who's eating the rest of the fish? <laughs> <laughs> so I loved all that. I mean, and, but what it seemed to sort of, what it said to me at that point, and I, you know, in my kind of young idealistic stage, that humour, that satire, sorry, was something that was essentially a very leftist, a very subversive thing. It was kind of the prerogative of the left. Um, and, you know, that was kind of my mindset at that point. I then, my next stage was to go and look at private eye. Um, and I think I fairly, swift, which was obviously considered, you know, and still is, you know, with the primary satirical organ um, in this country. And I then realised that um, satire is, um, or UK satire, is rather more complex than that. That, in fact, uh, private eye is... It talked that humour is actually, that satire is actually a reactionary thing as well as a radical thing. And a lot of the private eye humour was certainly, especially I think when I first bought it, which was in the early 80s, it was reactionary. There was a column called uh, The Naked Cow, in which underneath it said, all loony feminist nonsense gratefully received. And it was just examples of, you know, feminists asking for reasonable things, which was considered preposterous by the editorial team at Private Eye. At that time, uh, there was a character called Dave Spark. There was uh, there was a lot of sort of underlying homophobia, even anti-Semitism, um, and I think that came and made me realise that you know the, the, the sort of the double-edged nature of satire. That um, um, and that's something I think I've always kind of felt ever since, to be honest. I mean, even though it's something that I practice and I conduct, I've always been kind of wary of it. Um, I think, that, I mean, the whole satire boom from which sort of private eye was run in parallel was run, it started with this club called The Establishment, um, which was founded by Peter Cook. And clearly that word was meant to be kind of loaded at the time because their idea was it was an establishment. It was a club in Soho, I think, or the West London. But it was also, it was implying it was anti-establishment because it was subverting the, um, I mean, the whole kind of, you know, sort of... The, the Tory administration at that time and some of the kind of collapsing assumptions of, um, of the right in the 1950s. And there were some wonderful things along those lines. I mean, there was a joke, I think, about, um, um, yeah, about the, the kind of nuclear, you know, the, what's doing the event of nuclear attack and uh, a four minute warning and somebody expressing alarm at that. And then, and then uh, a sort of Macmillan type character is like, my dear fellow, I have you know that in this great country of ours, there are people that can run a mile in four minutes. <laughs> so, um, and I think that, that, you know, brilliant stuff. But at the same time, I think what one's realised over the years is that a lot of the people that were kind of part of that whole satire boom, they were, 
So was, do you, they were ultimately kind of of the establishment themselves. They came from that sort of stratum of privilege. Um, they were all kind of Oxbridge public school people. And I think ultimately they felt kind of at ease in that company. And I still, you know, they were kind of, um, they were able to kind of speak to that kind of power because in a sense they were part of that and they were part of that generation. I think ultimately you could never quite claim them as being truly radical despite um, some of the, um, a great many of the um, things, you know, the campaigns that Private Eye has been involved in subsequently and uh, its attacks on them. Um, you know, for instance, people's like, you know, what was the, the Profumo thing later on, Maxwell, James Goldsmith, people like that. Um, you never really got the sense that private eye was exactly a thorn in the side of the Thatcher government, despite things like Dear Bill. Um, um, and similarly, I also felt with Spitting Image in the 1980s that, you know, it seemed to me that however kind of coruscating, you know, the jokes were and all that stuff about Margaret Thatcher with the camp in the restaurant says, like, what about the vegetables? They're like the same as me. You know, all those kind of jokes. They could sort of pile these on. But even, you know, the more coruscating, the more outrageous they were or whatever, then, um, you know, even showing Margaret Thatcher in the sort of the gents' toilets or whatever, um, that um, Margaret Thatcher seemed to be returned with ever bigger majorities each time. You know, was that, that was another sort of that made me think that, um, and it reminded me of something that Peter Cook said actually, you know, when he sort of remarked about um, how wasn't it, wasn't it wonderful in uh, the way all those satirists do in the Weimar Republic, you know, all the work they did in seeing off the, um, the Nazis that were emerging at that time. And, uh, yeah, we know, which is uh, kind of an awkward one. Um, but um, when so when I came to write myself, I think I was always um, aware of, the, you know, the duality and the, um, the, the kind of the cathartic need for satire, um, and at the same time, um, a sense that it was a kind of, there's a sort of cosy cynicism about it that um, really wasn't in, that interested necessarily in changing the world. Um, I suppose a lot of the things that I would have dealt with in this talk, talk, talk column I wrote with was, was specifically, um, you know, music types. It was, you know, uh, it, it was anybody from Shinodo Carla to Andrew Eldridge to, again, the Oasis, Morrissey, people like that. And it was kind of sort of, I suppose I could sort of earnestly claim that I was kind of deconstructing them as icons or whatever. I mean, I was taking the pits, basically. Um, but what another thing that I found is I was rather sad when those people eventually went into decline because, um, you know, even if that might have been my end, I didn't dislike some of these people and the work they did, that when, you know, ultimately when these characters went into decline, I then had nobody to kind of aim at anymore. And I realised that, that satire can be like that, that, that you, um, you really actually want the targets of your supposed ire to sort of stay around as long as possible to keep you in work and to keep you providing with material. Which is why private ire, I think, they always hated it when there was... Um, a Labour government, because they always felt that Labour governments were just likely to be more worthy and um, less venal and um, less compromised. And I think it was an absolute blessing to them when the Blair government came along, which was just so utterly kind of venal, hypocritical, compromised. You'd given them probably more materials to work with than they had under John Major. Um, so, yeah, duality, duality. Um, And I guess it comes to, with me, I suppose, the sense of personal awkwardness I have about, 
about satire is, or perhaps my conception I have of the satirist and what the satirists believe. And I think that when I'm indulging my satirical side, I'm sometimes uncomfortably, I seem to get the sense that I'm indulging this kind of rather tired, sardonic, cynical, comfortably nihilistic side of my nature that believes in ideals and things like socialism, but not the goodness of human nature, that ultimately human beings aren't up to it, and that they'll always be kind of material for satirists because human beings fuck up again and again, they're just not up to it. But then the better part of me says, well, no, no, I mean, if, you, if everybody thought like that, or if everybody had ever thought like that, then there'd be no, no progression whatsoever. Um, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of progressive giants of the past who thought entirely the opposite of that, who did believe in the improvability of human nature, despite everything that the satirists consistently maintain. Um, so, I always love satire, um, but I don't really personally, and it's something that I do, it's something that I try to do well, and it's something that there's always going to be a kind of a market for. But I don't suppose, I think I probably long ago, at a certain point, shed my illusions about its ultimate subversive quality. Um, it's you know, it, its ability to change the world, um, to bring down governments. Um, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, it, it's paradoxical, really. It's, um, you could say, you know, it's, it's vital, but it's ineffective. It's subversive, but reactionary. It changes the world, in a sense, but it, it doesn't bring down the government. It exposes the rottenness of humanity. But it insists on the idea that human nature will never really change. Mm, which is... And yet, and yet, and yet, uh, for all that kind of... So as, as you can gather, I've come down squarely on the kind of side of um, ambivalent hand-wringing. Um, <laughs> and yet, um, I think the left does need to kind of embrace satire. The left is good at satire. I mean, there's this complaint, you know, there's a constant complaint at the moment to be, uh, about BBC bias. And sometimes when they look at BBC bias, they look at sort of the political, the sort of topical panel shows or whatever. And all the shows feature, they do, they do they tend to be a kind of a, a sort of strong sort of leftist kind of uh, inclination in those shows. And people say, well, where are all the right-wing comedians? Well, there aren't any. Right, right-wing is a shit at comedy. Um, you know, well, it have been since Evening War. I mean, it's just, they're just not out there. Um, you know, perhaps left-wing is better at comedy, which have better ideas, and we're right, and, and we, you know, we have a stronger take on reality. Um, but I think left does need to embrace, even when it's hostile satire, I think the left, in terms of, like, the ideas of the left, the progress of the left, Labour needs to... Um, the left, as I say, needs to invigorate itself um, through taking on board sometimes even hostile satire, being robust enough to do that, and sometimes recognising some of the you know, criticism of satire. But again, it does that well. I mean, think of one of the greatest sort of um, comedy creations of the last 30, 40 years, which is Rick in The Young Ones. And I mean, there you have this kind of, you know, nobody has ever sort of painted a, a, a better sort of balls-aching, self-righteous little prick of the kind that attached themselves to left-wing causes than the team that created the young ones, which includes Ben Elton, you know, Mr. Left himself. And I think, to me, that's always been a marvellous indication, actually, of, like, the left's ability for kind of, you know, wry self-recognition. 
Uh, and they do it far better than the right. The right, just the new, the modern right, has just never been clever enough to come up with something like that. As I say, maybe even in war might have done, but um, but not the modern right. Um, I think, as far as like we mentioned, the Daily Mash. Um, I was thinking about a little bit of this because a lot of the stuff that I do isn't necessarily directly political, and a lot of what the page doesn't do is necessarily that political. And sometimes the Daily Mash story will just say people are shit or men are twats or whatever, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, get to Harley Chapel. <laughs> but I think actually if, if there is a sort of political component, and one thing that I kind of believe in with, with the Daily Mash, it's what it does in a kind of sort of drip-drip way is kind of expose the alienating effects of the 21st century. I think a lot of the people that work there, and to be honest, I should say that, like me, they're all kind of simpatico left, you know, Corbynistas by and large, definitely, you know. Um, and I think we're all kind of 20th century people who hate the 21st century um, for all the various reasons you know, you do that. I mean, sometimes it's kind of sort of trivial gripes or whatever or something about bloody smartphones or whatever, but it's, but it's more profound than that. I think that, like, I think the subtle pervading way in which um, the content and quality of our lives has been gradually taken away from us by kind of increasingly less accountable corporate powers of the And the way that that kind of pervades anything from like, you know, office life to sort of leisure time, just all aspects of modern life. I think the Daily Mash is, is very much on top of that. Um, and I think ultimately I would describe it as leftist, but it's never going to sort of, obviously, having said that, it's never going to sort of um, um, refrain from taking the piss out of Jeremy Corbyn. Although Corbyn's an interesting case because I think Private Eye are having a tough time with Corbyn a much tougher time than they did with Blair and his people. I think they're really finding it hard to get a handle on. Again, I think that the funniest, as it were, it's not even a satire, but the funniest comic take on Jeremy Corbyn has probably come from um, Steve Bell in The Guardian, who's obviously a very sort of lefty and sympathetic, casting him as, um, you know, the, the Jezai, you know, like Alec Guinness in Star Wars or whatever, the, uh, the Jedi, and, you know, which is actually very affectionate at the same time, actually very funny. Private Eye are really struggling with him. I think they're struggling with him because he's really, he's not venal. He's not, he's not like the kind of sort of corporate careerists, you know, the gradually kind of infested new labour over the years. They really can't pin a great deal on him. And they've tried to do a sort of Jeremy Corbyn speech to people type thing, and it's just not funny. Um, so I drifted off on a tangent there, and uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you know. But I suppose I'd send, I mean, I don't know how long time, I think I'm probably... A few minutes. A few minutes, okay, yeah. right. Well, I'll very slowly wrap up then. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a ruminative pause, it's anything else. Yeah, what was it? It's, um, I think that there are important reasons for the left to embrace satire. Um, it humanises us, it colours us in, it reinvigorates us. And I mean, there is obviously an absurd sort of parody of like the left, as Ludi Election, I suppose, as, as, as humorous, po faced, you know, towards this and whatever, and blah, 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 whatever. And I really think it's important to do that. Not, and, and that doesn't involve any kind of compromise whatsoever. Um, um, but there is a sort of sense of sometimes, you do get it sometimes, okay, so certain kind of left wing people have been not quite human. And I think that, um, that humour is a way of saying that we're quite, quite human. Um, I'll have to conclude here, because, um, but, um, which is just, I think one of the greatest exponents of all of this is, is Mark Steele. And 
I always remember um, once when he was asked what his perfect day would be, and he said, um, my perfect day would consist of a workers' uprising in the morning, followed by a quiet drink with friends in the evening. <laughs> and I'm down with all of that. <laughs> so. Uh, next speaker, Angela Nagel. Can everybody at the back hear okay? Yep, cool. All right, Angela. Okay, um, uh, when I was being introduced, um, uh, you mentioned that I recently finished a PhD, and uh, the, what I was looking at in the PhD is kind of what I'm going to talk about today, which is um, it began as a kind of study of um, emerging uh, anti-feminist movements online, and it became kind of one about what's now called the alt-right, or the alternative right. Um, this is kind of more of an American phenomenon, but, um, but it, its influence is there, and particularly online. So um, I want to look at some of the really good satire and good online comedy that's there on the left, and then also kind of what the right is doing. Um, in the um, you said about the right wingers are shit at comedy. Well, I would have agreed with that until relatively recently, but um, something has changed kind of quite recently, and it's 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 a it's a worrying kind of trend where I find myself uh, laughing quite a bit at some yeah, <laughs> at some uh, some of the kind of satire that's coming from the right, um, particularly that kind of um, uh, very irreverent kind of. Uh, um, alternative right uh, uh, kind of thing. Uh, I would think of somebody like Milo Yiannopoulos, for example. I've been obsessively watching his uh, campus tour um, of, of American campuses where um, these huge fights uh, break out in the audience between um, you know, his supporters on the right and then um, typically kind of uh, feminist protesters on the left. Um, and unfortunately, uh, in, in these kind of videos, I don't know how, how many of you have actually seen them, but they're worth watching because uh, one of the kind of horrifying things is that, um, <clears throat> as you were saying about the, 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 the right being shit at comedy, you know, when you think of somebody like a very square kind of uh, old-fashioned conservative, um, you know, at, at times you almost feel slightly sympathetic with them because the left always has the kind of the good music and the, and the good comedy and so on. Um, but the horrifying thing about watching the Milo Yiannopoulos uh, tour was that uh, actually he was usually the, 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 the kind of quite funny one, you know. He would come out and he, his whole style is very camp. The, the, the tour is called the Dangerous Faggot Tour. Um, you know, he, he, he um, and often uh, the people in the audience who were, you know, from Black Lives Matter or from feminist movements, um, you know, really didn't come off very well and often seemed to, say, an apolitical viewer um, as extremely humorless and, uh, and, and unable to make their case. And he was then very eloquent. And the fact that he has an English accent helps too because Americans think everything English people do is, is, must be very clever if you have an English accent. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, anyway, I want to look at some of the... Um, the kind of good satire on the left, and, and then the uh, unfortunately quite good uh, satire that's there on the right as well. Um, and it, uh, when I was trying to come up with examples of this kind of good satire, um, some of the stuff that's being shared uh, that I share and that people, you know, other people I know on the left have been sharing, is actually kind of a form of internal critique a lot of the time. So it's it's trying to kind of carve out a space um, in an ultra-sensitive online culture. 
where people are kind of terrified of saying the wrong thing and terrified of making a mistake. Um, uh, you know, satire kind of allows um, a little bit of, of room there for you to kind of be a little bit irreverent about something. Um, now, there's two ways of looking at that. One is that this is a really positive thing because it allows a kind of internal critique to be there on the left uh, and it allows for that space. Another way of looking at that is actually it's, it, it, it says something very sad, which is that um, the reason that I would rather share like a clickhole article that passive aggressively sort of will annoy some of uh, you know some other people I know on the left, you know why don't I just come out and say what I mean? You know so um, is it that satire is actually helping to create a space for more more kind of debate and, and taboo breaking on the left, or is it that it's just kind of allowing us to actually not have certain conversations uh, because the the, the online uh, kind of environment, particularly in, in kind of more left-wing circles, is so ultra-sensitive um, that, that that's, you know, a way of kind of backing out of, of really having any debates. Um, so just to give some examples of some good kind of um, uh, uh, satire that's around, um, or some examples of things that you would, you would maybe, for example, share online um, but that you wouldn't actually uh, verbalise in any other way. So, for example, I saw I shared and a couple of people, other people I know on the left shared um, a, an article in The Onion and the, the photo was of Donald Trump um, giving a speech and the headline was, um, admit it, you want to see how far this thing goes. <laughs> so right, everyone thinks that's funny, right? But how, if you try to think about how could you say, you know, how, how could you translate that into anything other than what it was? You know what I mean? What is it exactly that we're laughing at and what could you possibly say? You know, in other words, if it's not in the form of satire, you can't really say anything other than an absolute condemnation that shows, you know, what a good person you are and how, how, how sort of right on you are and so on. So, in other words, um, this kind of satirical space is opening up while everything else is kind of closing off. Um, whether that's a good thing or not, I genuinely uh, don't know. Um, I also am a big fan of Clickhole. I think it's really good, kind of, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and it really kind of... Um, uh, made fun of the whole kind of upworthy, um, you know, again, like the, that, that real virtue signaling kind of culture, sharing kind of upworthy things, uh, these kind of um, really sickening kind of, uh, sickeningly sweet kind of liberal um, uh, listicle type things. Um, um, there's also something like, for example, I shared... Um, uh, I'm giving the example of, of things I shared, uh, not because uh, my Facebook wall is particularly interesting, but just in the sense that all of them are examples of things that I would share as a piece of satire, but not express in any other way. So another example is, um, I remember one um, uh, from a, a particular uh, satirical website where it showed uh, ISIS members you know, smashing up uh, ancient monuments, and um, the headline was... Um, uh, oh yeah, ISIS wins the prestigious Turner Prize for modern art. <laughs> uh, so again, you know, if I had simply, if, you know, for example, posted a kind of like my communique about the Turner Prize, uh, you know what I mean? That the, I wouldn't do that. I mean, and and if I did do that, um, or indeed if I if I uh, made fun of the kind of earnestness of Upworthy or or made any kind of uh, um, you know, comment that was similar to the, to the Trump example, um, 
I'm sure I would be kind of attacked from all sides and, you know, um, so, so being able to slightly passive-aggressively uh, put up the, the, the satirical uh, posts is a great way of, uh, well, it, 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 it might be a cop-out, but, it, but it's, it, it's at least a little bit of a release valve. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, is it cowardice or is it, or is it a positive kind of creative thing? Uh, uh, and, and I mentioned about the, the, the alternative right. Um, so uh, for a long time, you know, I think all the kind of like image macros and memes and satire that was, that was really good was generally left wing. Um, more recently, I'm seeing stuff, as I said, that, that, that did actually kind of make me laugh that's coming from the right. And, and the circles that it's coming from online um, kind of range from um, sites that would sort of um, weasel out of, 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 of claiming any politics at all because they kind of say everything is a joke, everything is sort of endless layers of irony. So I'm thinking something like 4chan, uh, right through to kind of like um, openly fascist kind of um, uh, uh, sites and so on. Um, there was a particular um, uh, uh, kind of a, a, a fight between um, different protesters. Uh, oh yeah, they were they were Trump supporters and actually I think Bernie Sanders supporters. Um, and there's this particular moment where one of the Bernie Sanders supporters um, is shouting at one of the Trump supporters, um, "You're a white male." Right, and he is also a white male. But you know, <laughs> and uh, and and I remember the first time I saw it, kind of like memeified. It was his that guy's head, sort of like bouncing around, and uh, with just the word problematic. On <laughs> and I thought, oh no, the the writer actually being really funny. Like you know, this is terrible. <laughs> um, and then um, you know, so it's all that kind of tone of stuff. Um, and, and just, uh, you know, the, 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 um, something like, uh, going back to the to Milo Yiannopoulos example, uh, as I was watching the videos and I was seeing kind of what might be, you know, closer to my own politics, my side or whatever, being really humorless, being kind of a bit embarrassing at times, um, and, then, and then the right being like, you know, having this real swagger, being really stylish, being really funny, witty, kind of sophisticated, uh, and, and that's like, you know, so it's not the kind of like, um, you know, uh, crumpled old kind of square, like social conservative. I mean, Milo Yiannopoulos, it's very hard to tell what's actually conservative about that kind of politics. It's actually more like libertine, a bit nihilistic even, but, but they certainly identify with the right. Um, now, the weird kind of online world that I'm talking about, the alternative right, um, when I started looking at that, uh, I got kind of a similar response from everyone initially, which was, this is just a little weird subculture on the internet, it's just a handful of people, it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, but actually watching those, those kind of, uh, the, the Milo Yiannopoulos tour, um, uh, is really kind of shown how this has gone mainstream, how this kind of the weird little uh, what we were told were kind of like insignificant subcultural styles um, have actually moved into the mainstream because uh, those people are now Trump supporters. So in the the, the fights that go on in the uh, watching Milo Yiannopoulos's tour, when the, when the crowd breaks out into a fight, he's a big smile on his face. He's having loads of fun with it um, because he can see the people he hates in the audience are getting extremely angry. And then the people, when they start shouting things like hate speech or whatever, 
um, the, 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 the Milo's fans will say the right um, start shouting Trump, 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 right? And they have, you know, it's these big booming male voices like kind of jocks shouting Trump and they, they shout it until they drown out the other side. So the whole audience kind of bursts into this like shouting match. Um, and uh, so to me, uh, when I was watching that, I was thinking, first of all, the right has started being really funny and we've started being kind of not very funny. Um, and secondly, um, you know, that this is something where what used to be just a weird online subculture is now, you know, directly linked to a presidential campaign, which is Trump, you know. Um, if you listen to, um, you know, all the, the kind of like the online, you know, uh, memes about Trump, the kind of people who call Trump daddy and, you know, uh, <laughs> gays for Trump and twinks for Trump and all this kind of stuff. Again, it's, it's really funny. It's really knowing. And um, um, but th th those people, you know, are, you know, they do have a really good sense of satire and they're very knowing and they're not they're not as easy to dismiss in that way. Like and, and actually they're kind of um, winning the meme wars right now, if you like, you know. Um, uh, in the description, um, the, the title has the word subversion in it, and the, um, uh, there was a mention of uh, satire being the cover by which the radical reaches the mainstream. And I thought, well, yes, but not radical in the way that people in this room might like. It's actually the radical right who are reaching the mainstream through satire at the moment, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just quickly yeah, say something to that, because that's, that's fascinating. I think it's a really good case, actually. Um, Having said, yeah, the right is shit at comedy, yes, it uh, possibly needs slightly unpacking um, that. I mean, for one thing, for instance, all during the 70s, actually most of my favourite comedians, um, Les Dawson, um, I think probably Tommy Cooper, Morgan Wise, they were all Tories. Um, of course, the thing about them is that they didn't, that it was very taboo to talk about politics during their act, you know, so it wasn't, their acts were the sort of a manifestation or presentation of their, their politics. Um, the second thing is, I think that, that some of the things you're talking about, I completely sympathise with the joke makers that, you know, you, you think was the right. I'd like to have made those jokes myself. And, then, and I think it's quite interesting because I think that the, the, sub, the object of those jokes, the butt of those jokes, is something that I do find painful. I did kind of allude to when I levelled the accusation of humorlessness because, and I think I kind of, and again, another generalisation, I think it's kind of an American thing. It's perhaps a sort of British thing. So there's a characterisation of the American left which seems to be rather individualistic and precious and concerned with sort of identitarian issues and safe space and in a slightly kind of, yeah, and indeed a very sort of slightly arse-aching kind of way. <laughs> and it really, really does need to kind of puncture in that kind of sort of preciousness because I think there's less of it, and I think this is a critique sometimes of feminist thought as well that's coming out of America, as opposed to something like the UK, that there's a lot of it is to do with like individualism and individual empowerment and me, myself, my identity, what I am, right? That, that stems perhaps more broadly from American culture, whereas in the UK, things are much more about everybody kind of being lifted up and the whole kind of collective. Um, so I do have a strong sympathy with, with the kind of people who sort of punk function, that kind of thing. I do find that those kind of elements, you know, humorous, painful, and some are not necessarily at heart left wing in some ways, you know, more, more to do with some sort of like precious identitarianism. Um, the other thing I was going to say, in terms of the cruelest joke, and I don't even dare try it out, you know, actually, an actual right-wing joke. Um, I suppose there's a comedian called Sam Kinison. Does anyone know Sam Kinison? Yeah. 
And it was one of his earliest jokes. Um, he, I must admit, he made me laugh harder than any comedian I've ever known. And the joke that he made was about the Ethiopian famine. Anyway, I'll, okay, I'm going to press on anyway. <laughs> but but his whole, the thing about it, 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 it's a whole take on it. He's, he's, he's kind of like something with those who don't know. He, he sort of wrote, he was almost like, he was a former preacher actually, and he's got his acting that has a lot of, he really learned how to kind of the way that preachers have that wonderful cadence and rhythm and the way to kind of really pitch their voice, and he kind of had that in his act. Um, the joke that he told me, it's quite an early joke that he did when he, when he decided to go from being a kind of, preacher to a kind of full-on heavy metal type kind of comedian. A lot of his fans are heavy metal people. And the joke was um, about, you know, imagining yourself as a kind of driver just taking food out to these kind of camps. It was like 80, 90, 80, 90-mile ride every day taking the food. And he just thinks, I'm just thinking, why don't they live where the food is at? And it's <laughs> Yeah, we've got deserts in America, we don't fucking live in them. You know, that was his uh, take. And the, the thing was, I love that, because the thing was, I was thinking... The reason I laughed, it was kind of, yeah, but, ah, I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't know why. <laughs> There's, of course, a very good reason why that would be, but I think that the kind of, like, where that joke got me was that I couldn't immediately, off the top of my head, explain why people had to drive such a long way and why people didn't live close to this window. I'm sure there's a very, very good reason why they don't, but um, that's how that kind of particular joke got me. And I must admit, it was probably, I probably laughed hard because it was a very, very guilty laugh. Um, I don't know if that speaks to what you were saying necessarily, but... Um, uh, there's, uh, I mean, there's an Alan Partridge one, which is almost exactly the same about the famine. It was something like, <laughs> like, why were they so picky? Why were they such picky eaters? They only wanted to eat potatoes or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Although the only thing about the Alan Partridge joke is it's probably something the joke is meant to be on the Partridge character, you know, for being so factious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think in this case, the Kinnison joke was, I think, pretty much at the expense of the Ethiopians, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Um, just actually one more thing, just in response to that, um, I was also reminded of um, uh, Christopher Hitchens uh, once said when he was asked about his brother Peter, I'm kind of obsessed with the Hitchens brothers, I find them really fascinating, uh, but uh, he said um, Peter, Christopher said about his brother Peter, Peter is like Dennis Thatcher without the sherry and the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> And so Peter is the example of the kind of unfunny right-winger, you know, mm. um, and his brother, I mean, obviously he kind of moved away from the left, but for most of his life, he, he, you know, he was on the left, was the kind of, like, funny, erudite, charming, you know, um, popular with women, you know, all that kind of stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, so I guess the stuff I'm talking about is just where a weird kind of flip has happened where suddenly we're the kind of Peter Hitchens, <laughs> we're the kind of humourless ones and suddenly the right is being, being funny. Maybe that's a little bit of, uh, you know... It's that's interesting Hitchens, because like Christopher Hitchens obviously moved towards the right, you know, in, 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 in the range of his life, and Hitchens has kind of moved sort of not exactly to the left, but he's become a sort of very disaffected right winger, mm. and he's kind of pro, for instance, you know, I think he wants his 20th century back, like a lot of us people do, mm. in his own way. Mm. But although, having said that, he has maintained all of his stuff. Yeah, he's stuffy, but actually, um, I'm just sorry, this is going off topic a little bit, but he, Peter Hitchens is kind of an interesting character as well, in that um, he, yeah, he's extremely square, he's humourless, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know he was much better on on the Iraq War, for example, than Christopher was, and um, like he's written uh, lots of things recently that are just straight up kind of left wing 
positions? I mean, the anti kind of neoliberal, anti Thatcher, all that kind of stuff? There seems to be a rise actually to me, and I don't think people are necessarily aware of it. I mean, it's, I'm very much aware of it on my Facebook feed, which is kind of my world basically, I suppose. But, um, of a sort of contrarian left, and I think they take their cue from sort of people like Hitchens to an extent, and, they take, and then certainly people like Nick Cohen. Um, and they're all very kind of anti-Corbyn. They quite often tend to be sort of um, pro-Israel. Um, they consider themselves very much the left, and they consider there's a sort of a fatuous left that has kind of occupied the space, that they themselves are the true leftists for some reason, because they're the true anti-fascists, because, you know, that, 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 so, you know I don't agree with any of this. Um, but they, they, I think, sort of have a lot of sport at the expense of the factuousness of the left. And there's a lot of factuousness on the left, obviously. And I think, obviously, one of the unfortunate things, maybe about social media and Twitter, is that this is kind of vast sort of effluence of stuff that people didn't use to have a voice, you know, in order to kind of say it. And if you want to find fact, fatuity on the left, you can kind of swim along and find loads and loads of examples of it anywhere, and therefore, like, look at the left there, you know, look at it, rubbish, nonsense. Um, it's an extraordinary phenomenon, actually, because I, I'm, I've got several friends, I don't know if it's just my particular group of friends, who are more exercised and upset and derisive of the factuousness of the left than the things that the left is being factuous about. You see what I mean? It's, it's, it's a strange phenomenon, and there's certainly been a kind of rise of certain satire there, but maybe that's just my Facebook feed. <laughs>